What's up, Kings fans? Welcome back to Royal Rebounds, a Sacramento Kings YouTube channel for fans by fans. If you are a Kings fan, make sure you smash up that like button down below. And if you would like to join the Royal family with Calvin and Vinny and I, make sure you hit that subscribe button as well. We have a treat for you today, guys. We are joined by first year Kings insider Brendan Nunes. Thank you, Brendan, for joining us tonight. Brendan runs the King's Pulse. It's uh, available on all your favorite podcast platforms. He also has a YouTube channel as well, so make sure you guys go subscribe to that. We're going to try to get him up to that 1,000 subscriber uh, threshold like everybody else. Yes, definitely deserves it. He is also a writer for the King's Herald, and you can catch him on Twitter at Brendan Nunez NBA. All right, Brendan. So we're going to jump right here into the topics, but thank you so much for joining us. So first off, I just want to hear your first thoughts on this Halliburton Sabonis trade. I know it happened, you know, about a week and a half ago or so, uh, but it's still fresh in my mind. So I just kind of want to hear your first thoughts on this whole deal. Yeah, I mean, initially heartbreaking, right? Like, you guys made the trip and didn't get to see Tyrese playing Royal Purple that day. So I'm sure that you share that heartbreaking sentiment there. Um, and I'm sure that at the same time, like witnessing those first couple games with Desmondis Sabonis, you're like, okay, I, I see what's going on here. And there's clearly a easier synergy to be built uh, between Fox and Sabonis just with a guard and a big and a really pick and hole pick and roll heavy offense compared to uh, trying to make two guards work with Fox and Tyrese. So, you know, it, it's kind of a cop out, but I almost want to say that I'm still unsure on how to grade this because I think it depends on what the next move is this offseason. I think that just adding Sabonis in exchange for Tyrese isn't enough for this team. But I think that the key here is that they didn't use any first round picks and that they still have additional assets to go out this offseason and add another guy to this group, similarly to kind of what we saw with Chicago when they acquired Vucevic. Like that eighth pick that was one before Davion Mitchell ended up being Franz Wagner uh, going to Orlando, but um, and they still did not make the play-in tournament last season when they traded for Vucevic, and then instead they go in the offseason and they make more additional moves on top of the Vucevic trade and then that's where they're able to do more. Um, so I think I'm optimistic because it would be annoying to cover the team and not be optimistic <laughs> about it, to be honest. Um, but there's still very much a chance that this is a bad trade. Um, I'm kind of just waiting to see what else is added to this. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting example you had here. And it's interesting. You listen to a bunch of different analysts and some people say the Kings won the trade. Some people say a lot of people actually say the Kings lost the trade. Right. And Indiana got the best player in this trade, which could very well be true. Um, but I know a lot of people and I know James Ham, for one, is as a guy that's like both teams could win the trade. Right. Like a, a good NBA deal helps both teams and these teams are different uh parts in i guess the growth cycle and the winning cycle so a trade like this could help both teams potentially we heard monty mcnair in his press conference you know mention just what you said there is we were able to retain the pick and we're going to be aggressive and make another big move this offseason so i mean as a kings fan we've been hearing that for over 10 years so <laughs> it, it's kind of rough for us but hopefully they can do something like that 
But I guess my biggest question for you is, you know, the Kings have wanted to play fast here. They love De'Aaron Fox. They love his speed. They want to play to his advantages. Does a guy like Sabonis work with that, or do they need to just switch up this playing style? Yeah, I think that they, uh, I think they think that you know Monty McNair talked about it in that presser that he wants still a really high-paced offense. Um, when they first let go of Luke and moved on Alvin Gentry, he said that they think they can be the fastest team in the league. And De'Aaron Fox is the guy that you obviously point at, right? Who might be the fastest player in the league. And I think it's interesting for Sabonis. I think that we're going to have to kind of see how that works with him. Um, I do think that he fits the style because for a team that's been horrible at rebounding in Sacramento, that's, you know, securing those defensive rebounds and then being able to have a good outlet pass or even Sabonis bringing it down himself and running the break um, after he gets that board by himself, I think really enables the fast break for them. But we haven't seen Sabonis play in a really high paced offense. Um, everything that he was doing in Indiana, a lot of the times he was the four while he was out there as well. And, and they really slowed the game down and played up a lot of a half court offense. So I think that it's still going to be a little bit of a learning curve for Sabonis, but I think that as long as they continue to play him at the five, I think that he actually enables them to even play at a high paced more often and, and consistently like throughout this season, we've heard, Alvin Gentry multiple times be like, I have been trying to get this team to play fast, but they just aren't like, sometimes they just aren't running. And it's so much easier when you're a really good rebounding team. I think Sabonis is fourth in the entire league in rebounds per game. Um, and that's an area that Sacramento really struggled. So I think that it'll be a new learning experience for Sabonis, but actually this really high paced offense um, does fit him well. And then, Earlier this year, I think part of the reason Rashawn Holmes struggled at the beginning of the year is they really tried to get him to do a lot of dribble handoffs. And I think that's an area where it's not exactly his game. And, and he's also had complications with a lot of injuries and apparently some um, off the court issues as well. But I, I think that uh, that's obviously a sub area that Sabonis excels and their two man game um, in the open court when it comes to transition between Fox and Sabonis, I think has a lot of potential. But then also we've seen some of these moments in the half court that I think the ball is moving so well and this potential of a two man game and pick and roll with Fox and Sabonis. I, I think there's there's a lot to work with there. I think those are all great points, um, especially the one you make at the end there about playing in the half court, even if this team uh, doesn't end up becoming the fastest paced team in the league, I think they're still going to be really effective, particularly because they've got Fox and Sabonis to play that two-man game in the half court. And if they can get, you know, really consistent shooting outside around that, that makes you a really dangerous team, regardless of how fast you're going to play. I also liked the, the comparison you made to Chicago. I've seen a couple other people uh, you know, on ESPN and stuff, make it that type of similar comparison. Obviously, it would be amazing if the Kings could follow up this <laughs> offseason with something like what the Bulls had last year. But you're right. It's it's too early to grade this trade. It, this type of deal that involves an all-star level player, you're expecting it to be a major shift in your franchise in terms of progression and getting better. You're going to have to wait a while to, before the, the jury is out on, on whether or not that was a successful trade. I'm curious, 
you know, to just put a bow on the trade deadline, if you have any inside information that you can share with our viewers here about potential deals that perhaps didn't get done at the deadline, anybody that you talked to mentioned something like that, or if not, maybe there was a deal that you really wanted to see happen that didn't get done. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have uh, inside information quite yet. You might have to give me a little bit more time before I'm, I'm quite on the James Ham level here. Um, but I, I do think like a guy like uh, John Collins is really interesting to me. I, I, well, I, I do think that um, moving Rashawn Holmes is something that I expected, and I think that everybody expected Rashawn Holmes himself, including – uh, to be moved at the deadline. And, and I'd be shocked if he's on the roster again, come the start of next season. Like I, I thought the deal that made a lot of sense was him for PJ Washington. Um, and, and I think you needed to put a little bit more salary in there to make it work, but they ended up going with Montrez Harrell and it was a lot lower price since Montrez is expiring. I believe it was Ish Smith and Vernon Carey, which wouldn't have done mm -hmm. it for Sacramento. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so I do think that uh, Rashawn Holmes is probably the guy to get moved this offseason. And I think John Collins was a name that we heard um, at the deadline. And I'd expect him to come back up again this offseason. You know, I think a lot of that depends on kind of how he's feeling with his situation in Atlanta. There's been like whispers that maybe his relationship with Trey Young and, and kind of the opportunity that he's getting, he's not all too satisfied with. And I, I think that that's a guy that, um, you know, you talked about like needing spacing alongside Fox and Sabonis, which is 100% to me what needs to be addressed the most this offseason. And John Collins falls into that while also being a guy that has a little bit more upside himself there. Um, and a stretch four is really, really what this team needs, I think, is kind of like the final bow on top if they're able to um, keep Harrison Barnes as well. But um, yeah, I think that when it comes to the deadline, I was really shocked to not see Rashawn Holmes moved. I was really kind of just waiting for a PJ Washington Rashawn Holmes package to take place, um, which obviously we didn't see happen. But I think that you could coming this offseason, we're going to hear Rashawn Holmes and one or two first round picks or Harrison Barnes and one or two first round picks for maybe it's a PJ Washington or maybe it's a Jeremy Grant again, or maybe it's a John Collins or if for who knows why Jalen Brown becomes available or Donovan Mitchell. Like you never know, right? The NBA landscape changes so fast. And I think that the fact that they kept all these first round picks and while Holmes's value is going to be interesting to me throughout the rest of the season, because if he continues to kind of play under what I think most people in Sacramento know that he's really capable of, like, I think he's a starting caliber center in the league without much question. Um, but he hasn't been showing that much. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how his value keeps up. Um, but I think that's the guy I was shocked to not see moved and I would expect to see move this off season. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. Last season, last off season, we were saying on this show that the Kings biggest or number one priority was Rashawn Holmes, you know, whether or not they were going to resign him. I think he's still the number one priority for them, but in the opposite direction now, it's what do they do with him? moving forward. But I agree with you. Stretch four, power starting caliber power forward. Yep. That would be like the one thing that could really maybe take this team over the top. Yeah, I agree. And and I actually love John Collins. I would be very, very happy to have him here in Sacramento. But on the Rashawn Holmes subject, since you brought it up, uh, it is pretty interesting, right? The Kings seem to be in another situation where they have a guy who they need to 
I guess, create or hold on to value while they're not playing him or playing him at a limited role so that they're able to exchange him in the next offseason. It kind of reminds me of myself playing NBA 2K, and I know you're a 2K fan, so we can talk about that a little bit later. But what do you expect Rashawn's role to be like through the rest of the season? Are they going to be able to maintain some value from him? It's tough. I mean, I think, or at least I like to think that the league has an idea of what Rashawn Holmes is already, right? Like, I think that there's maybe more potential for him in a, I don't know, I was going to say an expanded role. Like, I think what we saw last year is what, I, I hope that's not the career year for Rashawn Holmes. And I wouldn't bet on it being like, to me, the Clippers are a prime example of a team that makes a lot of sense for Rashawn Holmes. Um, I, I don't know that they make a lot of sense as a trade partner necessarily, but I think that Rashawn Holmes on a team that has a lot of switching defensively is where he really fits. Um, and so it takes a lot of big wings. Like I think that Boston kind of falls into that as well, because offensively, I think no question, he's a great offensive center starting caliber defensively is where you start to have a little bit of question marks. And I think he really excels switching, but in most other schemes is where it gets a little bit difficult. Um, and I think that it's just like mentally tough for Rashawn Holmes. And I hate to speak on somebody else's mental without having great knowledge of that directly from their mouth. But I, I could would just imagine that going from a, player that was fighting for every single minute right he came to sacramento to be the fight for the backup spot like Dwayne deadman was the other signing that offseason he was going to be the starter and rashawn holmes was like fighting for the backup five spot with harry giles or or marvin bagley and then he just slowly emerges where it's clearly he is the starting center for this team and last offseason we hear reports that he wants up to four years and 80 million and he ends up getting four years, 75 um, in what has a decent chance of being the biggest paycheck he gets in his NBA career. So uh, a guy that's like fought for every single minute that he's gotten throughout his career when he finally feels like he's proven himself and it's like, okay, this is where I'm going to be the starting center for a long time here and get built around. And then the first year of that deal that was an underwhelming payday for you, they go out and, and acquire a, top five center that's going to take your spot and you're probably not going to play alongside like um, don't know exactly what's going through Sean Holmes's head or anything but I can only imagine that that is a really difficult situation and I would hope that he gets to kind of take some time during this all-star break and just accept the reality of what's going on here where that if I can go back to excelling in this backup role for 15 minutes a night then that's just better odds that I'm going to get moved to a good team this off season. Um, but I can understand why that's a lot to deal with mentally as for somebody that's kind of gone through that journey. But at the same time, like Damian Jones deserves opportunity. Um, I, I think that prior to acquiring Monis Sabonis, Damian Jones was playing better than Rashawn Holmes and, and Holmes was still coming back from injury, which I'm sure was part of it and health and safety protocol and all of that. But it's unfair in my mind to Damian Jones to just be out of the rotation when he had been playing really, really well. So, um, you know, I guess kind of a long-winded way of saying, I don't really know. I, I think that uh, if Rashawn Holmes is able to accept that backup role and just go back to being a star in his role um, as that 
back up five, um, like he had done for many years throughout his career, then it, it would be amazing. And I th- do think that he is the better player than Damian Jones, but I think that right now he needs to prove that he's willing to accept that. Yeah, I think the Kings actually lucked out last offseason by not a lot of teams having cap space, so they were able to lock him up on a relatively cheap deal. I think it was like four four years for 46 million or something like that for Rashawn Holmes. 55 with which, incentives. Yeah, which like I thought that. was an amazing deal, especially when he had 2020 against Charlotte earlier this year. I'm like, oh, that, that was a great deal for Sacramento. But now, you know, we've seen the eye injuries and COVID and all that. He seems to totally be out of rhythm. He's wearing goggles now. Like he just seems like a completely different player. But I do have to say that the times that he played really well this season, especially offensively, was alongside a guy like Tyrese that passes the ball so much. So I, I like your I like your landing spot of L.A. Um, I also like Charlotte um, being around a guy like one of the ball brothers that can really pass the ball. I think that that is what Rashawn really needs to, to succeed because he he's not a guy that can get his own shot right like he he can't get spacing on his own he needs a guy to really set him up he doesn't take spot up jumpers either yes and so you know being a guy that can thrive off the bench i think is a very important role for him but at the same time as you mentioned like an expanded role well you still have guys like like DiVincenzo that were just picked up you have davion mitchell like who is going to be the first guy coming off the bench on this team? I'm starting to think less and less that that's going to be Rashawn Holmes. So, you know, on that topic, I kind of want to want to transition here in, into Dante DiVincenzo, whether you think he will be coming off the bench for the rest of the season and what you think his role in the future would be. I love what I've seen from Dante so far. I'm not in love with the three-point percentage. I think he's shooting like 22% in Sacramento from three-point range. But he's a great rebounder. And as you mentioned, the Kings have been horrible at rebounding. So bringing in a guy like him and Sabonis, I think will greatly help this team and a versatile defender. So I just want to hear your thoughts on on DiVincenzo, whether he's a starter on this team for the rest of the season or or if maybe once they are able to re-sign him, uh, that's the plan for next season? Yeah, I think that like when you're looking at what the future of this team is and the guys that I, I think that are a part of the long-term plan and like Fox and Sabonis are the obvious two. Um, I, I think that DiVincenzo does fall into that, acquiring him right before he's going into restricted free agency. And then Davion Mitchell and um, and, and really pass Sabonis like, we just saw Tyrese Halliburton get traded. Who the heck knows what's going to happen this offseason? Um, but it does feel like to me that Davion Chen, uh, Dante DiVincenzo is part of the long-term plans of Sacramento. And um, I think that it's the defensive versatility that he really brings that this team was so desperately needed. Um, I, you know, so many times earlier this season, we heard about them struggling with perimeter containment. And a lot of that is you're working with Fox, Tyrese, and Buddy, and none of those guys are very good at that. But Davion does excel in that aspect. And now instead of um, Tyrese and Buddy, you're working with Fox, uh, DiVincenzo, and Justin Holiday, and Davion Mitchell. I, I like there's been a clear improvement there. And uh, the versatility as well, like being able to guard threes. Alvin Gentry said he thinks that DiVincenzo can guard one, twos, and threes. Even in that one Washington game, we saw him have minutes guarding like Raul Neto and Ish Smith, who are both six foot, six one sort of range. And then we see minutes of him guarding 
Kyle Kuzma and Rui Hachimura in um, in spurts, like six eight guys. And I don't think that the six eight is necessarily typical or to be expected every single night, but in a pinch, like you can do that. And Sacramento didn't have guys with that sort of defensive versatility. And I think that that is the main thing that's been really refreshing. And I like that he brings and he comes from a team that he started 66 games last year for the team that won the championship, which is pretty crazy. The Sacramento was just able to acquire that guy. And he went down and I think it was game three of their first round uh, playoff appearance. Uh, Milwaukee's that is against Miami and, and, you know, didn't get to go through their whole finals run, but Fox has talked about how he brings a level of communication and competitiveness to this roster. And we've heard a bunch recently, which feels so strange after what was this roster a week and a half, two weeks ago at this point, that this team is full of high IQ guys, which is mm-hmm. so weird to hear. But when you actually <laughs> like look around at the roster now, I'm like, okay, I actually see this. And I think that DiVincenzo is definitely falls into that category very much. So Um, I'm with you that like the three point shooting has been a little much for me. He's and it's been eye opening to kind of really experience what a lot of the people in Milwaukee are talking about with him being a little bit frustrating offensively. Um, But I, I think that he's been a breath of fresh air in Sacramento, especially on the defensive end and, and uh, having some of those passing chops on offensive as well. I think it's been really impressive and uh, I, I definitely expect him to be a part of the starting lineup throughout the rest, the closing part of this season. Even if he's not a part of the starting five, which maybe Justin Holiday just kind of gets favored there, I could see that happening. Um, that at very least, I'd be surprised if DiVincenzo wasn't part of the closing five. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, Justin Holiday, to me, I wouldn't be surprised to see him continue to get that starter's minutes. You're right about the closing. I think that'll change maybe over time. But I just feel with his uh, familiarity and comfortability playing with Sabonis, yep, yep. he's probably going to be the guy that gets the nod. But you're right. I mean, everyone, Monty McNair especially, is really thrilled about what Dante DiVincenzo brings to this team. I think you're definitely going to see more and more of him. And people, I, I think fans need to taper their um, excitement with him a little bit, you know, because – like you said, it's it's not Sacramento Kings fans are not accustomed to having these types of players on their <laughs> team, so they're very happy and excited about it. But he's dealing with uh, some extra factors that some of these other guys are not. He really hasn't played much this season, so now he's having to get comfortable with a new team in a new role while t- trying to work himself back physically. So it's going to take some time for sure. Uh, we are talking a lot, you know, you can go down the list of the roster on this team and talk about long-term fit as being the big question mark, right? I think another one of those guys is Mo Harkless. He's been so up and down with this team, started the beginning of the year, uh, got a lot of minutes, didn't really perform offensively, then fell completely out of the lineup works his way back in. Now he's a starter again, played really great offensively for a very short amount of time. He's under contract for one more season with the Kings. Do you expect to see him as play with the Kings next year and even beyond that possibly? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's weird to me that Harkless is only 28. Like He feels like a guy that should be like 34 in the yeah. league at yeah. this point. Um, but 
You know, I, I think, again, talking about like defensive versatility, Harkless is a guy that probably fits into that best on this roster before DiVincenzo came around. Like we see moments of Harkless, like if they played against Phoenix, you're probably starting with at least prior to the trades with Harkless guarding Devin Booker. Um, so I, I think that he's been really valuable in that aspect. And like you said, they do have him around for one more year after this. I think he's part part of that. Um, high IQ and good communication. I think that we have seen a lot of his communication throughout this year, even if he's maybe communicating that he's unhappy with certain players, mainly Buddy Heald, it looked like earlier in this year. <laughs> yep. um, I think we're so, all on which that way, wavelength. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we definitely were. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that Harkless is a guy that, like, I wouldn't be shocked to see him thrown in as say like if we were talking john collins like atlanta's talking about needing defense needing length um that i wouldn't be shocked to see harkless thrown in as filler for a deal as a little bit more of an incentive to kind of push something over the edge um but i do think that uh sacramento obviously likes what they have i you know that um, that's somebody that Monty did go out and trade for. It was only Bielitsa, but I think that like you have to target somebody, and he's clearly a guy that likes uh, length and and I, I think steals blocks, uh, defensive versatility, uh, making an air of that being, and, and Harkless falls into that. So if if he can have more stretches where he's shooting the ball at a good rate, mm-hmm. that I, I think that Harkless is a really good option as the starting four on this team, um, but. There is a lot of fl- fluctuation with how well he's hitting that three-point shot, and I think that that's where kind of the variance lays. But if Harkless is the eighth guy on this team next year, like I, I think that's an absolutely fine scenario. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. It's his offensive uh, production is it's just puzzling sometimes. I mean, it, I just question his engagement. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, like he'll play 30 minutes and only take three shots sometimes. Like it, yep. it just, it's like he disappears somehow altogether. But I mean, he could be amazing in the right situation, right? Like I, I like to look back at like the old 76ers team with Allen Iverson, right? Like he basically was hidden on defense and then he did everything on the offensive end of the floor. If the Kings could figure yeah. out a way to hide Mo Harkless on offense, and just have him lock down the best player on defense, like that is a good recipe for Sacramento. I just don't know if that's possible in today's NBA because everybody needs to be able to shoot. They need spacing. It's so important. Um, but I want to talk well, especially about especially when you're especially when your duo. Sorry to interrupt you. Especially when your main duo moving forward is Fox and Sabonis, two guys that exactly. already right, can't right. shoot really Definitely. well. Exactly. And that brings me to my next topic, and that is Deer and Fox. We've seen an entirely different deer and fox, it seems like, in the past two weeks, which is so crazy to me considering the the ankle injury and all the games that he sat out. And uh, there was certain points in that, I'm not going to lie, where I'm like, what the F is going on here? Why are you sitting these games and you're just acting like everything's okay? I don't know if he was sitting out purposely until Tyrese was traded or, or maybe just until a move happened, I could see the frustration in him. I saw it with DeMarcus Cousins when they drafted back-to-back centers. And it's like, I'm supposed to be the franchise player. You want me to get you to the next level. Everything's on my shoulders. But you keep drafting guys that play the same position as me. That doesn't really help me. 
So the Kings have officially chosen Deer and Fox as their point guard, as their franchise player. I just want to hear from you what you think his ceiling is, what you think the team ceiling could be with Deer and Fox. Because, you know, Calvin and I have debated on this show in the past on who was the better option, whether it was Tyrese or Fox, and whether these guys brought a different team ceiling because of the type of ball they play, whether they make the players around them better. Um, so I just want to hear your thoughts on on Fox. Yeah, I think like between Fox and Tyrese, like I think Fox is the better player. I just think that Tyrese is so easy to fit into anything. Like Tyrese, you are De'Aaron, you have to build a certain style around. You have to make sure that there's three or I guess four, however you want to kind of take some bonus uh, other shooters around him and ideal spacing. Like we're seeing a lot of teams build a wall with De'Aaron this year when he's, when he's attacking in transition and the lack of spacing that's been around him where he's, um, you know, surrounded by Chemezi Metu or Marvin Bagley or Davion Mitchell earlier in the year, wasn't hitting threes at a great rate or Mo Harkless. And then you're talking about Rashawn Holmes, even Alex Len, Tristan Thompson, like he hasn't had great shooting around him. And I think it is uh, what you said, Barry, that like I would, if I'm De'Aaron, it's like we're really drafting another point guard. Like I, I get it. Um, if you really believe, Monty, that this is the best player available, I understand. But it's got to be frustrating that it's like, really, we're getting another point guard right now. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I don't think that De'Aaron, from anything I can tell, has been anything but, like, great to Davion and Tyrese. You know, they're always the trio that is um, shooting around together when we show up at shoot-arounds and practices. Like, I think that they all got along extremely well. I don't think that De'Aaron um, ever expressed that or anything. I'm just saying, like, if I were in his shoes, that would be frustrating to me. Um, and at the same time, there's two guys on this team at the beginning of the year in, in Bagley and – a buddy that did not want to be on this roster and, and made that clear. So as a guy for De'Aaron that's going into your fifth year, I understand the level of frustration there. Um, I heard that he already had that Minnesota game circled as the day that he wanted to come back. Um, you know, he's had ankle issues in the past. Um, so I, I guess take that for what you will, because the timing was pretty uh, ironic, I guess you can say. So, but since he's come back, you know, as much as I like watch some of these Tyrese games and I'm like, man, I really wish I was watching this guy for the next decade. When you have this De'Aaron Fox, he's really damn good at basketball. Um, I, I think he's an all-star. It's got to be agitating to watch DeJounte Murray. DeJ- no disrespect to DeJounte Murray. He's a great player. But if I'm De'Aaron Fox, I'm like, man, that guy got an all-star before me. Are you serious? <laughs> like, um, yeah. And again, DeJounte Murray's balling, but I think that De'Aaron Fox is on that caliber and, and should be above him. Um, so I, I think that if Sabonis can be a guy to really unlock De'Aaron and we get back to – growing from the 25 and seven that he was working with last year that I, I would be so excited and happy to see that level of De'Aaron Fox. And I'm sure the entire organization and, and De'Aaron himself would be as well, because man, while Sabonis is amazing, like there's an argument that De'Aaron can be the best player on this team. Yeah. And I think, I think he'll make the all-star game this next year. I really do. I think there will be two Kings all-stars on this team but, you know, mentioning Murray, for me, the biggest difference between Fox and Murray is coaching consistency, right? Like you can 
imagine the difference in having who I figure is probably the best or one of the top coaches of all time in Greg Popovich being your mentor versus a guy like De'Aaron Fox, who's been through, I think, four different coaches at this point, a lot. which is crazy. And that brings me on to my next topic here, and that's Alvin Gentry. I mean, Calvin said it good or said it best, uh, you know, when he took over that it was like, Alvin was probably the best guy for this position because he's done it so many times in the past where he's taken over these teams midseason. Um, it's really hard to judge him because, you know, he didn't have a training camp. He didn't have all these things. And actually, you know, the last two seasons, Luke Walton didn't have a training camp because of COVID. And the year before that, I think they went to India. So it's really tough not having a lot of time to prepare. But I just want to hear your thoughts on Alvin Gentry, how far or how you think he's done so far, and uh, what the future might hold for Sacramento as far as a head coaching search. Yeah, I think for Gentry, uh, you know, we've we've definitely heard that he has he had initially wanted the commitment to being the long term coach of this team when Walton was let go, and that he has incentives in his contract that if he reaches x y and z marker that we don't know um that he'll still get to be the head coach of this team next year and one can assume that that has something to do with a postseason appearance um i don't know if that's like winning the play in or or what that exactly looks like so i think that there is a world where alvin gentry remains on this roster next year but i think there's still three and a half games last time i checked outside of the 10th seed in the western conference so it's still a little bit of an uphill battle. Um, the team has, um, like like Gentry is a guy that is really creative offensively, and I think that there is a real chance that Gentry is able to figure out some great fit and system that works for Fox and Sabonis and really unlocking their pick and roll. Um, I, they probably don't have good enough spacing to even make that work, but I think there's a world where it is possible. If I were to bet, though, I would assume that there's a different coach going into next season, unless they um, really do well throughout the end of, of these, I believe it's 20, 20 some games left throughout the rest of this year, um, post all-star break here, unless they absolutely kill it and Gentry meets whatever X, Y, and Z incentive is in that deal. I, I would expect that there's a new coach in Sacramento next off season and hopefully or, or going into next season. And hopefully that's a guy that'll actually be around for a while and get to build some sort of synergy and chemistry with, with this Fox and Sabonis pairing and, work with Davion Mitchell, Dante DiVincenzo, if those are guys that are still around. And um, I am not the most educated on all these free agent coaches because there's always guys that come out of nowhere that are names I've heard like once or twice. But just a couple <laughs> that come to mind are like Kenny Atkinson, um, who was in Brooklyn recently right now. He's an assistant in Golden State. I think that like I wouldn't bet on Mike D'Antoni, but you never really know, I guess. Um, I think that uh, Terry Stotts is somebody that's really interesting to me. Like, I think I that with the decline that you saw, yeah, the decline that you saw on Portland, it's like, it, it felt like Portland was doing more of a, we have to change something dramatic. So at this point, let's switch up the coaching staff because we're not going to move on from Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum or the general manager, which obviously those latter two ended up changing. 
Um, but it, it seems like pretty clear at this point, like Terry Stotts was not the problem. If anything, he got Portland to overperform from where they were at. So I, I think those are some names that kind of stand out to me. Like, you know, we hear David Vanderpool um, last last offseason. He's always in the mix for names. Maybe there's like a Sam Cassell or or Darvin Ham. And I think there's always going to be a handful of people um, when it comes to a coaching change. And the way that I kind of view it is always there's about five coaches that really help you win games. There's in the league uh, as a whole. And, and Popovich falls into that, obviously, like you said, with DeJounte Murray. And then there's about five coaches on teams that are probably making you lose games every once in a while. And then there's just 20 that are just like in the middle. And too often the Kings have had a coach that falls into that five that is negatively impacting your team. And even just being able to get one of those that falls into the middle would be a really big improvement for this team. And they were preaching continuity so often this off season. So um, I would think that unless they really overperform expectations and end up in this uh, planned tournament in the second half of this season, or even, I guess, last third of this season, then I would not expect Alvin Gentry to be left around um, in, in, unless they do really overperform here. Yeah, I think that you make some really good points about Alvin Gentry. I, I was really interested to hear what you had to say about the incentives at the time that he took over, you know, for perhaps <laughs> sticking around as head coach next year because – at that time, they didn't have Sabonis. They didn't have any of these new guys, right? So now the trade deadline comes by, and I, I just wonder if that maybe changes the way the front office thinks about the head coaching position, thinking that we're on the rise with talent on this roster, so we need to kind of be on the rise with our coaching staff <laughs> as well. Um, but yeah, I just want to I just want to know real quick here. Is Alvin Gentry one of the five guys losing games, winning games, or is he one of the 20 guys in the middle? <laughs> He's probably on the losing end. I like, think why did Sabonis not play twenty right some <laughs> minutes in Brooklyn? What what was going on there? You know, I yeah. kind of see it all as like a sinking ship, and each coach has a different size bucket. Right. And the five good ones are ones with bigger buckets, and then there's a couple with like little cups. And whatever, however much they get right. out of the boat, you're still going down. Just depends on how Luke big Walton had a shot yeah, glass yeah. and it just wasn't getting <laughs> yeah, enough done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he had one of these guys. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, just to keep it on the topic of coaching, you know, Doug Christie had this really like short honeymoon phase as coach of the Sacramento Kings, and everybody was so thrilled about it. Uh, the whole time I was just like, no, this is not, we don't need to make him head coach right now. That would be the bad, bad decision. But we all know he's a fan favorite in Sacramento. Like you, I don't expect Alvin Gentry to be back as head coach of this team next year. What's your sense of what Doug Christie is to this organization now? Because he's been a little bit of everything, right? But are they? do they have any intention of grooming him to be the next head coach at some point? If there's a vacancy, do you think that he even applies for this job? Because I feel like a lot of people assume automatically the head coaching position is available in Sacramento. Doug Christie wants it. But I, I'm not even sure that that's where he's at, you know, personally, like in his own coaching uh, journey. Do you have any, uh, you know, thoughts on that on that specific subject? Yeah, I don't know Doug's uh, thinking or or goals when it comes to coaching himself, but I think that like I would not be happy with Doug being the coach, but 
I don't know if it's an outcome I'd be shocked with happening after what we saw with like when Luke was moved on from and it was reported that um, ownership really wanted Doug Christie and and they ended up going with Alvin Gentry. But like, I think that you're just going to have run into that same issue this offseason. Um, I, I think that Doug is an amazing personality and a great person, but he hasn't been involved with coaching that often that long at this point um obviously he's ex-player and and was a smart player but was in broadcasting for a while and it's not like he was even on the management side like um when i've said this before people bring up steve kerr but steve kerr was a general manager for i believe it was phoenix for a while like he's on the basketball operations side for a while before when christy was in broadcasting and and Mm -hmm. just sort of not on that side for a while right sorry to interrupt you but that that was the the correlation there. Like that's why Durant wanted him because he, he they had already had a relationship in the, the the gym together. You know, on the coaching aspect of things. Yeah. So um, I, I think that Doug is a guy that like I think he's going to be part of this conversation this off season. Um, but I'm not sure that he should be. Doug's the next Jerry Reynolds in my book. Oh wow! Back to the booth. <laughs> you're saying back to the recording booth. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess on on that topic here, I, I want to go a little bit more positive, or hopefully, I mean, hopefully you don't take us negative on this, but I want to talk about playoffs and uh, <laughs> playing basketball. I think, yeah, we're about 20 games away. I think we're, what, 16 games below 500 at this point. 22 games left. 22 games left. Um, but like you mentioned, we're only like three wins out from the 10th spot. We have two games that are really, really important this week coming up against Very uh, who is it? The New Orleans, New Orleans, and San Antonio back to back games. I think these are going to be really, really tight race for Sacramento. Are the Kings making the playoffs this season, Brendan? That's what everybody wants to know. I uh, God, <laughs> um, you know, I think everybody's wanted to know that for a while now. <laughs> God, if I like had to guess, um, it's so first, sad. First of all, like, I just want to, New clar- I want to clarify what Barry is asking you here. By playoffs, are you talking the final eight or does the play-in tournament count? I'm talking playoffs. I'm trying to make this question a little easier for my man, Brendan. I'm here. talking playoffs. <laughs> playoffs. We're talking play- Play-off. playoffs. Playoffs. Okay. <laughs> playoffs. Um, I think playoffs. I'm going with no. Um, you know, okay. I'll tell you my dream scenario that I think would be the most fun experience for every Kings fan is that they somehow make the nine seed and the Lakers are in the 10 seed and yes. we get a home game yes. in the one center <laughs> against the Lakers because that would, that would be, be the most that entertaining be thing. Barry and I would world. be in the building for yes. that game for And sure. Anthony Davis is out for the rest of the season. LeBron's resting <laughs> and the Kings upset the Lakers. Yeah, it, which realistically, LeBron would drop 50 and break our hearts. But, you know, <laughs> um, I've seen that happen before. Um, right? Yeah, that sounds like something that's happened once or twice. Um, yeah, so I, I think that it it weirdly is like they still have a really good chance of making the play. Uh, three and a half games, like I think, is a notable margin to make up. But I don't think that Portland really cares to make the play. I think that they ideally would probably have a higher draft pick. 
I think that uh, San Antonio is really well coached, but honestly not as talented as New Orleans or Sacramento. And I think that it's a race between those two things, those two teams, um, New Orleans and Sacramento, two teams that are obviously like chasing that with the CJ acquisition for New Orleans and some bonus for Sacramento. Um, so a game and a half behind New Orleans there, like I think they're definitely it's within the realm of possibility. I don't know that I would necessarily bet on it. Like I actually personally think that getting a top five pick would be a better outcome for the Kings this off season, because to me, just this Sabonis edition isn't enough. Kind of like I said earlier, it needs to be just the first step where there's even more that happens this off season with a guy like John Collins. Um, so if they don't make it, I, I don't think that it's like a, uh, holy crap, this was a horrible trade right away. I think it still all depends on this offseason. But I do think that it's a race between them and New Orleans, and they do have a significant amount of ground to make up. But uh, it, it kind of feels like a coin flip on if they make the playoffs. And I guess that's a baby answer because you asked me straight up, do they make it? Um, so I'm going to say no to the playoffs, but I'll say uh, I'm going to stick with no to the play. And I think they end up 11 in true Sacramento fashion. Okay. True Sacramento. Okay. That would be true Sacramento. Well, you kind of answered my next question a little bit, but I want to kind of elaborate it on, on it a little bit here. You mentioned top five pick. So the worst part about it is with the draft lottery, right? Like even if the Kings have the fifth worst record in the league, that means they're probably hitting the eighth, eighth uh, spot, right? Because those three teams, even if they're the three worst, I think they only have like less than a 25% chance to move into that lottery spot. So Sacramento could get leapfrogged. That being said, bigger win for Sacramento, making the playoffs or top three pick in the NBA draft? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with top three. Um, and because I'm a guy that still really thinks they need a lot more talent on this team, um, and if they jumped into the top three, top four, I don't know what I would do, to be honest, between keeping the pick or um, shipping it off. It kind of depends on who's available when you make phone calls at that point, because once you actually have a number locked into that draft pick, I think it becomes so much more valuable if you do jump up. Um, but while I think that the playoff experience would be great for uh, really at this point, it's kind of just De'Aaron Fox and Davion Mitchell a little bit as well. But I think Fox going on to these games that are nationally televised and have a lot of eyes on, for example, if they're the nine or 10 and, and going up against the Lakers and De'Aaron's be able to have one of these games like we just saw against Chicago, or um, he had a recent game that I'm forgetting for some reason uh, where he dropped 14 or 12 in the fourth quarter that he helped him close out. Um, and I think him being able to have one of those games on a national stage would just be really good experience for him and also get to shut up everybody and just a little reminder of like, oh yeah, I'm really good at this whole basketball thing. Well, I think that'd be great for De'Aaron. I do think that like, uh, the team building aspect, I, I lean towards a top five pick. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I, I'm actually really split on this, you know, do the Kings it, would it benefit them more to make the play-in tournament or to have a high draft pick? Um, because I, I agree with what you're saying a lot, that I think that for a team that has lost so much for so long, what's well, a little for more. De'Aaron Fox, but, <laughs> right, what's a little more? But no, on the flip side of that, to, to play in that environment, 
you know, you mentioned national TV having eyes on you. All that stuff is great. But the type of competitive game that gets played in those situations, in playoff games, win or lose, win or go home games, Mm -hmm. none of these guys have experienced anything like that outside of the NCAA tournament, which, again, has, you know, depending on how far you get in that tournament, you, you definitely experience some of that. But it's not the same as playing in an NBA playoff game. So for guys like that, I think it could incredibly be incredibly beneficial to them. But at the same time, you know, for team building, you're right. Like, not only would it give you the opportunity to draft a really good player, but it, like you said, it could also potentially give you a chance to trade for a ready, already made player that's going to yep. help winning even faster. But on that note of dra- draft, um, I'm a huge college basketball fan. I watch as much as I can. I try to stay up to date with, you know, like my own personal draft board. I don't know how connected you are to the college game, but is there a player, you know, say Sacramento lands in that six to eight range, which is what they're kind of projected at right now. Aside from the top three picks, is there a guy in this draft that you think would a fit the Kings really well and, and be somebody that you really like? Yeah, I I definitely get into the draft and did the last two years. Um, I haven't gotten super deep yet this season. That's actually on my uh, on my to do list over these next couple of weeks here. But um, you know, obviously that top four, like I'm gonna say, the dream is Jabari Smith. But who knows? This guy could go number one. Obviously, <laughs> um, I think that AJ Griffin, like he's jumping up boards. But I, I think that he's somebody that's really interesting to this team. It's really any guy that has good size to him to, that can play the three or the four and also hit threes at a good rate. And it sounds like a low bar, but there's not all that many, you know, like I think that AJ Griffin absolutely falls into that. And ideally a player that can um, have some decent physicality to them as well, because I think that this Kings team has understandably been labeled as soft in the past. Um, so I, I definitely understand that one. I think that, uh, Benedict Matherin, I hope I'm saying that last name right, to be honest, uh, yeah, from Arizona, right. is somebody that's – I'm, I'm glad to hear. He, he's um, one of my is somebody that's for interesting that, to that me as well. Pick. Yeah, I like him a lot. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, 3 and D guys that have the size to play the three or the four, it's interesting to me. So I think uh, Matherin and, and uh, A.J. Griffin are the two that kind of stand out to me outside of that top four. Yeah, I personally think they're going to be trading the pick just after the whole press conference and all that stuff. You know, it does matter where that pick is and who is available, but I do have to think that at this point, Sacramento's looking for guys that are ready to contribute right away, and that's generally not a guy that you draft, especially a guy that's, you know, up in the top five or so, ready to contribute and get you to the playoffs right away. So... Brendan, we're in kind of an all-star break week right now. I'm sure you've probably enjoyed having some time off, you know, not having game after game after game. I know I have. (laughs) I'm uh, getting a quick little trip to Waikiki tomorrow, and I'm going to be surfing and having a great time, enjoying myself before I'm back on Wednesday. And I know a lot of the Kings players are doing that as well. I know Justin Holiday was excited to see his family. He said he hasn't seen them for a little while. But I think they're returning back to practice tomorrow, right? Tuesday? Is that the first day they can practice? It's the first day they can. Um, We haven't gotten news on when they are practicing yet, at least I have not. Um, But 
yeah, I, I would assume that within these next couple of days here, I know the Tuesday's the first day they're allowed to practice together again. So what is, what's number one priority for you as far as Sacramento getting ready to return back to the season on Thursday? Yeah, I think it's just understanding each other and knowing that um, kind of to expect the ball at all moments when you're some of these guys that are on the wing and, and cutting, like how many times in that Brooklyn game where they had 18 turnovers, was it like, man, that guy really should have caught that, but mm-hmm. he just wasn't quite ready for it. And I think we've seen that a couple times um, throughout this year. And I think that it's just getting used to playing with a high level passing big man. And, you know, like, I, I think the basic answer is Fox and Sabonis is synergy. And I think that that's something that really needs to be worked on between them two. And they're setting it, they're setting the screen lower. So that way, if a defender goes under that De'Aaron Fox can still kind of pull his mid range jumper rather than being at the three point line, um, which I think has been working well, but just kind of the angles of the screen for him. And if he doesn't like what he's getting the first time, then rescreening. And, but I think that that's just something that'll come with reps. Um, so to me, it's kind of just understanding how important and rewarding some of these cuts will be and being ready for, um, that pass from Sabonis that was previously never there. And then I think that there's, um, certain guys where it's just coming to an acceptance of what your role is going to be. Like, I think that, um, Davion Mitchell, um, continuing to grow as a catch and shoot three point shooter, which we've already seen and him just kind of keeping that upward trajectory I think would be really good but Rashawn Holmes for reasons that we talked about earlier is the standout to me when it comes to um, kind of filling that mold of a guy that needs to accept the new reality of what his situation is and and trying to uh, just excel in that role Um, I don't expect him to get many minutes alongside um, Sabonis I, I think that we'll probably see it here and there it's not something that I would go to very often um, but I think that, um, yeah, there's certain guys where it's like, okay, you need to accept the reality of what's going on and buy into your roles and understand what those are and how some of those, uh, changes to your game is going to, uh, come with that throughout these rest of this season. But for the most part, I think it's just a lot of growing comfort of like, where does Dante DiVincenzo prefer to get the ball? If I'm De'Aaron Fox and running this pick and roll that if I see DiVincenzo wide open on the wing, but then Mitchell in the corner, which guy, if they're both wide open, is more comfortable in the spot that they're in? And just just kind of understanding each other in a growing chemistry there. And I think that'll happen throughout having communication with one another and practice and in-game reps with one another. Um, so I, I think it's a lot of stuff that is maybe a little bit difficult to do throughout um, the break. Um, but, you know, like where can Alvin Gentry figure out how to work in Demonis Sabonis post-ups? Where if De'Aaron Fox is on the bench because um, you, you need spacing with all these post-ups, can you do a lineup of Davion Mitchell, Justin Holiday? Dante DiVincenzo and Harrison Barnes to Monte Sabonis. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, now when Fox is on the bench, we can get to post-ups because we have hardly seen DeMontis Sabonis post-ups. And that was a staple for him in Indiana. So I think for um, adjustments throughout the all-star break, I think it's more of coaching staff feeling of like, okay, how are we going to optimize this? Like even after the Brooklyn game, I asked 
Alvin Gentry, like, oh, you're playing Fox and Sabonis together a lot. Like, it seems like they're kind of coming back on the court at the same time. Uh, what's going on with that? And he's like, well, ideally we'd be staggering those guys. So I'm like, well, you haven't been, but I agree with you. Um, and I think it's just kind of like figuring out those kinks for the coaching staff. And then for the players, it's just understanding the guys that are alongside you and where they prefer to get their shots and, and how that's going to come about within the flow of the offense. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think we can definitely all agree that just team chemistry and, and getting a better feel for everybody when you have that many new players on a roster, especially new players that are going to play either big time minutes or very key roles for you. You know, that that's gotta be the first and foremost. I would say team defense would be the number one yeah. thing that I would be working on right now. Um, in practice, I think it should have been the number one thing, you know, that they've been working on for years and maybe it is. And they just, for some reason are not getting the results that they need, but They've got better defenders now, guys who at least have like winning experience, know what it mm -hmm. takes. So hopefully that continues to improve. I thought he had a good point too with, you know, just being prepared and ready yeah. to catch the ball. Like we've seen it with guys that have played around LeBron James, right? Is they're like, what's the biggest change you've had to make in your game? And that's like always being ready for the ball. I didn't know that he could get me the ball that fast in that position. Right. So as long as I'm ready and I just have to always be ready for the ball, I think that's huge. It's it's a great advantage having a big man that can pass like that, but it's also makes it a little bit more difficult for people to adjust as well. Definitely. Def that's a, that is a good point. Um, well, Brendan, I'm curious to hear from you. You know, we mentioned at the top of the show, this is your first season as a Kings insider, which congratulations, by the way. Uh, you know, I think for Barry and I, from where we're sitting, we can both say that that's, that's a really awesome accomplishment, man. Yeah, so, man. Congratulations. But is there anything during the course of this season, you know, the Kings haven't had a lot of high moments maybe as a team, but just a personal moment for you that you can, you were able to, you know, after getting done with the game or a show or something like that, you're, you were like, man, that was pretty cool. Like, is there anything that kind of stands out to you from this year? You're welcome to the NBA moment. Yeah. Yeah. Or welcome to Sacramento, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think my very first like welcome moment, which I appreciate the love by the way, guys, um, was trying to figure out my first day there they give you these like weird instructions in an email of like what you're allowed to do pre-game right and of course i get pulled aside the very first day i'm there and pretty much get this whole talk of like hey don't do anything stupid and i'm like don't worry i got you um and i'm trying to make my way courtside on this first game and you know the instructions say like go down uh, in the Northwest direction. And I'm like, dude, I don't know what direction I'm going on the freeway half the time um, <laughs> and follow this black wall on the left. And then you'll end up courtside and make sure you have your media pass and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, holy crap. I'm trying just trying to figure out how to get there. And at some point I turn around and Jonas Valanciunas is right behind me. And I'm just like, holy crap, this is a huge human just right here. Like, <laughs> I just wasn't ready to just bump into an NBA player, you know, like it was my first time around that. Um, so I, I think that was my first like, holy crap, I'm here moment. Um, but outside of that, like it, it kind of has all happened so fast where it's a lot of times where I'm, I'm saying something to like, I have a guy that I, I came up doing a lot of Celtic stuff with 
um, that's based in the UK actually, but we've been both been doing this for like three years now and made a lot of progress. And there's a lot of times when we're talking to each other where we have to be like, bro, listen to what you just said and how crazy <laughs> that is where I'm like, Oh, Tyrese DM'd me the other day and was talking about like, Hey, hit me up when you're trying to play 2k or Tyrese was giving me a hard time about his defense or whatever. Like I'm sitting courtside and talking with whoever pregame about X, Y, and Z. And there's so often where I'm talking with him and have to just like him or I to each other have to be like, bro, listen to what you just said real quick. Um, so I think it kind of like just happens too quick sometimes because I'm so caught up in trying to just be comfortable and get accustomed to everything going on. Um, but I, I think just bumping into huge Jonas Valanciunas in the biggest floral button up <laughs> shirt I've ever seen in my life um, or Tyrese Halliburton calling me out because earlier in the year, I talked about Luke Walton hiding him on defense. And apparently he's listening to those pressers and giving me a hard time later in the year. That's um, awesome. Probably did it for me. Yeah, that that is really cool. I, I definitely know the feeling of what it's like to run into somebody that size. When I was in high school, I got to meet Yao Ming and shake his hand. Um, and that was just like a, it was one of those things where I was walking where do I down, put my hand? I was walking down from my seats, <laughs> right. which were probably like 10 or 12 rows behind the Rockets bench. And as I'm taking the steps down to get there, you can see how much bigger and bigger Yao Ming <laughs> is getting. And you're like, my God, this dude is just, yeah. he's a tree. Like it's insane. Yeah, that's awesome. My first practice, Bagley shook me up with how tall he is. Like, like everybody's really tall, yeah, you know. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. Um, I, I don't. I'm not exactly like a short guy. I'm close enough to six foot that I'm going to claim six foot and deny anybody that tells me I'm shorter for the rest of my life. Um, but that's like me. I think that <laughs> like five eleven and a half, but like three quarters. Exactly. We don't talk about the half. Like we just add. We round up around here. You know what I mean? Um, so. But Bagley came around the corner one time and I was like, man, this guy is huge. Like he's borderline the tallest guy on the team. Um, Tristan Thompson's another guy that was like, just he's, he's very built and he's tall. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I think that uh, Bagley was the one for me where I was like, man, this dude is big. Yeah. And Valanciunas makes all those guys look small. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Well, do you have any inside information for us about the puke guy? That's what I'm really interested in. <laughs> no, I got to figure out what liquor he was drinking. Clearly, it was oh, working there's well. There's more than one, um, I guarantee it. <laughs> yeah, the guaranteed, huh? The best is that he threw up and then just kind of like looked at it. And yeah. He had to like take in what was going on. And, it and then was, Luke Wallen got I, I fired was, the same the day. Game. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Puke Walton. Yeah. No, I, I do not have insight yet. We're going to have to get him on the pod and figure out what's going on here. Um, I always like to imagine, like, if you're that guy, do you claim that for the rest of your life or do you deny it for the rest of your life? Like, you never know, right? It kind of <laughs> yeah, flips yeah. based on There's the personality. Two types of people, there. the ones that would claim it <laughs> right. and the ones that would deny it. Yeah, that's funny. The last game we were at, we were in the Lexus Lounge and it was our first time in there. And, and we ordered two beers and I pulled my card out to pay for it. And she's like, the beers in here are free. <laughs> and Calvin looks at me and he's like, oh, now I know why that guy puked on the court. <laughs> That's news to me. Yeah. Lexus Lounge Makes is where sense. you want to be, Brandon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, apparently that's where. Yeah, he would tell you the same thing. So it was beer all over the floor. Good yeah. <laughs> well, he was drinking a beer at that moment. I'm sure he had lots of other. He stuff probably tried to that. puke into the cup, thinking probably, that that was going to hold it all. I don't oh, know, man. And the really? jazz players' reactions were hilarious. Oh yeah, they were running away, they were <laughs> laughing and joking. It was yeah, it was a mess. Oh man, I remember doing the post game afterwards. I was like, Kings basketball was so horrible. Fans were puking on the court. They were disgusted at the game. <laughs> Luke Wall needs to get out of here. And then fired. It was it was perfect timing. Perfect timing. Speaking of perfect timing, I got just a couple more questions before we wrap up here. I just want to thank you again for joining us Yeah, thank so you. late tonight. I know we're posting this tomorrow, but uh, it's a lot later for you in, in, I guess, mainland time, as we call it here. So uh, a question for you. What makes this season successful for Sacramento? Is it even possible for this to be a successful season? But, you know, whether they make the plan or they miss the plan, what ultimately makes this season or or could you take from this season that makes it successful for the Kings? Yeah. Um, you know, once you added the is it possible, like if you're considering the rest of this season prior to the trades, it's pretty hard to not say this season was a disappointment. Um, I, I think that from here on can be a successful end to the season in the DeMontis Sabonis era. Like the success there to me is seeing a clear growth between those two players, Fox and Sabonis, where I want to see a night where they both have 25. And because right now we've seen Fox get unlocked, but Sabonis still doesn't look like comfortable. We still haven't seen these. I mean, and, and we've seen games of Sabonis having, what, 22-14 and yeah, his first 5 game or whatever was by far it was. his best points, game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny. You look at that and you're like, ah, that's an average Sabonis game statistically, um, right. which is ridiculous. Um, so I, I think that seeing both of them get comfortable with how they're going to complement one each other, um, seeing – Dante DiVincenzo get a little bit more comfortable on the offensive end and, and still work his way into what I think is going to be the closing, if not starting lineup, uh, maybe both um, alongside those two. I think that Davion Mitchell's um, emergence that we've seen on offense recently, if he's able to keep up this pace where, like I said, I think he's, I think he's averaging 16 and five over these last 10 games. Um, if he's able to keep up that sort of pace, I think there's a lot more optimism. So I think there's a lot of things that we can see over these last last third of the season post All-Star break that will make this portion of the season a success to me. But it's pretty hard based on what the early expectations were going into the year to not look at this entire season as a disappointment, just to be honest. Calvin, same question. Oh, man, you're going to put me on the spot like that, too? <laughs> I mean, I can give you my answer if you want. Yeah, let's hear your No answer. Luke Walton, nobody healed, no Marvin Bagley. So you're already calling it a success yeah. for those three reasons. Exactly. Wow. Okay. I'm a positive guy. You I really are a glass half full guy. You really and, are. And they could have two all-stars going into next season. I'm that's a glass true. half full. Unless it's beer, then it's half empty. <laughs> God, that's a good point. Then it's half on the court. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even better. Oh, man. I mean, I would agree with what both of you said. Like, the fact that 
we for the past couple of years have been waiting and expecting like a big move to be made within Sacramento, whether it was a trade or free agency, something like that, something to improve the, the talent on this roster. We finally got to see that. So you can say that there was a successful moment from a front office standpoint, 100%. They, they got rid of Luke Walton, which I agree with you. I didn't like his, his fit there. He's a Laker. So I'll call that a success as well. But I also agree with what Brandon said. Now it's all about looking to the future and building the rapport, bringing, building the chemistry between the, the pillars of what this team is going to be moving forward. You have to get – the Tyrese experiment with De'Aaron Fox was a failed experiment. So this experiment cannot fail, right? Like you have to make sure that these guys work together. Um, I still think if they were to a were able to get into the play-in tournament, I would consider that some type of success as well, right? Because of mm -hmm. the, the reasons we already mentioned, how it would be a, a really great environment for them to get a taste of, especially heading into next year. So you're kind of feeling like you're building, you're riding high uh, off of that. Even if it's a loss, like that'll sting, obviously, right? But you still got that experience. Um it, there's a lot of different paths, I guess, is the answer to this question. That yeah. I think you can look at success from a lot of different perspectives when you're looking at a team that's 16 games below 500, right? Part of it is we're just always trying to find a reason to think, you know, to keep us hanging on, like, in our heads as fans. Oh, they're, you know, they're getting close. They're yeah. right here. This yeah. means success is coming or, or all that stuff. But... Uh, you know, I would just like to see them play better defense and win a few of these games, like close out close games going forward. If I see that and, you know, Fox and Sabonis are really starting to click together, mm -hmm. then I'll feel pretty good about going into this offseason. Maybe I'm an emotionally damaged Kings fan, so maybe that's where I'm speaking from at this point. But if Is there the Kings, another type of Kings fan? <laughs> <laughs> but if, if the Kings were to, let's say, just, you know, fizzle out the rest of the year, have a top five pick or, or maybe even land in the lottery with, with maybe the third pick or something like that. If you were to, you know, rewind to the start of the season before they played a single game and you were to tell me that they were able to acquire an all-star without giving up Deer and Fox, acquire another all-star, and have a top three pick in the next draft, oh, I would look would at that, that as yeah, a successful season. I, I would. Yeah, I would too. I, I love your mindset here. I'm going to adapt that, um, adopt that, and absolutely buy into it fully. Because well, wait I need for the some Kings to lose five life, games in a row and then ask Barry what his mindset yeah, is. Because yeah. it'll change, I guarantee. <laughs> there we go. I think this is a perfect transition into NBA 2K because I heard you're a huge 2K fan. I am also a big 2K fan. Um, I love rebuilding the Kings on 2K, which I've had to do over the last you know, 15 seasons way too many times. Um, it's funny, you know, Calvin and I, when we got locked down here in 2020, we, he basically came over to my condo every day and we played 2K career mode and tried to make our guy a 99. Like that was our goal was every day. We're like grinding through the season, playing online in the park. Um, I love the, the my GM mode as well. But I just want to hear from you. What do you like to play in 2K? What's your uh, what's your position? What what's your game like? Yeah, I'm weirdly like I really like team building. Um, so I do my team a lot. I, I like uh, you know all the the whole card situation going on and and just putting together 
a team that like complements each other. And I'm a guy that just really loves defense, which doesn't make much sense covering the Kings. But I'm like, you know, give me <laughs> one of those many people too, Brandon, good... so I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a tough life. Uh, I I'm just like, you know, give me as many versatile long defenders as possible and i always went up with end up with a team where i'm like man i don't know how i'm supposed to score right now but you cannot either are, are so you this a is ps5 guy xbox what, what do you, what i'm you an xbox guy literally just because i grew up on xbox and i refuse and i was just having a conversation with my friend the other day where i'm like i think i need to switch to ps5 oh yeah when i get the next gen but I'm like stubborn, man. I've been an Xbox guy my whole life. Like it feels wrong. Yep. I was um, I was Xbox so. too. Don't like how when we're older was. Xbox didn't come out well, when we okay. were playing Nintendo video games. Nintendo 64 was my original <laughs> if you want to go there. But I got an Xbox I think when I was in like 8th or ninth grade. Was yeah. when the first one came out. I remember out. in college we were playing Halo a bunch. Yeah. And that was fun. Oh, yes. Yes. But, PlayStation, um, yeah, you gotta get then, a PlayStation. It's the way to go, man. I mean, if I you can get to. one. I know I need to. And when yeah, when Tyrese DM me, he was like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna have my PS5 here in a couple of days, so let me know. And I'm like, bro, you let me know when <laughs> you're free. Yeah, because can you get me one? I yeah. am you're I'm sure you're busier than I am, and I gotta figure out who's got a PlayStation over here. So <laughs> make this work. Um but yeah, if I if I do my career, which I usually think is fun. Um, but I kind of like sizzle out pretty quickly this year. I made a center. Um, that's, that's how committed I am to this whole defense thing, I guess. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's also, it's also because I was like, I thought I was going to play with friends in my park for the first year, rather than just doing like the offline, my career. Okay. Um, and I was like, you know, I don't, nobody's, everybody likes to dribble the air out the ball and just throw wild crap. Anyways, like <laughs> I'll just be the guy that's annoying and plays defense and rebounding. Yeah, like, I don't mind cleaner. to do the dirty work, I guess. Hey, are you a get yeah, glass cleaner exactly. or, or what are you? Yeah. I mean, rim protection is what really gets me going. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, I don't mind some rebounding as well. I'll definitely throw that in there, but rim protection is what really gets me going. <laughs> Man, the two-on-two in the park is so difficult, especially if you're playing against, like, a glass cleaner or a rim protector and a really uh, small guy that can create and shoot. It is, like, impossible to beat those guys. It's crazy. And there's so many of the guards, but there's not enough many of the bigs. So I'm like, I guess I'll just fill this spot. And that's what I said, but then I never got that into it because it's a pain to play, let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome, man. Well, hey, we just want to thank you again for joining us. I want to give you the opportunity here to, to I guess, uh, tout your own horn here and, and tell everybody about you, yourself and your channel and, and everybody go subscribe. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, guys. Um, it's really just kind of what you said at the beginning. It's uh, the King's Pulse podcast, and I got the YouTube channel going up there as well, and that's any major listening platforms. And uh Aside from that, do some writing for the King's Herald and uh, just kind of going to end up slowly expanding as the years goes on. go on here is the idea, but uh, I, I can't say enough. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. It's always, always a good time. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening. Uh, we'll be back in, in Cali pretty soon, so we'll definitely hit you up and maybe we'll go out for another beer or two. Yeah, sounds good to me. All right, buddy. Have a good thanks, night. Brandon. Thank you, man. You too, guys. Thanks.
All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on another podcast um, on Royal Rebounds. Make sure you guys smash up that like button down below. Hit that subscribe button if you would like to join the Royal family with Calvin and I. Next up, we are interviewing Frankie, and then we're going to be meeting with Matt George on Thursday before another post game on Thursday night. So thank you guys for all joining in. Have a wonderful evening. And in the meantime, go Kings.